If the rosary is all about Jesus, then why all the Hail Marys? What's the church's official stance on capital punishment? And what is the sacrament of confirmation? These topics plus questions from kids on this best of edition of A View from the Top. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. In 2018, the Catechism of the Catholic Church was slightly amended regarding the use of capital punishment. Bishop Parks addressed this in a program from August of 2018. Pope Francis had made a change in the catechism regarding capital punishment and the Catholic Church. A lot of people always thought that the Catholic Church was against the death penalty, but that that's not always the case, I don't guess. What, what's your take? Well, John, it's good to be with you again, and you are correct. Uh, Pope Francis recently proposed a change to the catechism and specifically to the Church's teaching on capital punishment. The present catechism spoke about rare cases or instances where it might be permissible to execute somebody in order to protect society. However, with current advancements in the penal system and our prisons, correctional institutes all over the world, there really is virtually nowhere that society cannot be kept safe from an offender. So what the Holy Father has said, and this follows the uh, upon the thought of uh, both St. John Paul II and Evangelium Vitae, the Gospel of Life, as well as the thought of Pope Emeritus Benedict, is that the death penalty or capital punishment is to be considered inadmissible. That's the key word. In other words, that there really are no circumstances where the death penalty should be utilized as a punishment for someone. The reason for that, John, is that we believe that every human being has some inherent dignity because we are created by God. So even someone who takes a life or commits some type of uh, atrocity is not beyond redemption. And we believe that they should be given the opportunity to repent and to be redeemed. So that's why we, we no longer believe that the death penalty is an acceptable means of punishment. Now, since that uh, pronunciation by Pope Francis, Jose Antonio Jimenez was scheduled to be executed this past Tuesday. However, uh, Governor Rick Scott spared him from that, uh, signed a stay. Do you think that was in the back of his mind, even though Rick Scott may not be a Catholic and follow the teachings of the church? Do you think there's been some societal change to make him think about this, or do you think it was just a legal matter? Well, the bishops of Florida, every year we meet with Governor Scott uh, up in Tallahassee during Catholic days at the Capitol. He has an individual meeting with with all the bishops. And every year we bring up this issue uh, of capital punishment because, as you know, uh, Florida and probably Texas are the two states that execute the most people in our country. And um, while the governor is, uh, for the most part, pro-life, on this issue, he feels as governor, it's his responsibility to uphold the law and to follow through on the um, punishment or the judgment that someone has received. I'd like to think that his uh, issuing a stay or there being a stay issued in this case was due to the influence of the bishops. We always send a letter before every scheduled uh, execution uh, asking him to do so that perhaps he might be changing his mind. Uh, Only time will tell. 
and we'll just have to wait and see. But for the moment, uh, that was good news. And the other side of the coin, too, is that the fact that there are people on death row that have been exonerated. They have later on after DNA testing and other evidence has come forward that, in fact, they were innocent. And we have interviewed some of those people right here in our own radio station. That's very, very true with the advancements in DNA. As you said, innocent people have been found. And who knows how many were executed that were innocent that, that were not able to be saved. I have visited uh, death row in Stark. I've actually visited there as a bishop and distributed communion and celebrated the sacrament of confirmation with one person on death row. And I can tell you that it's not a nice place. (laughs) Um, I visited there in August. There is no air conditioning there. They have some fans, but I mean, the, the heat is oppressive. So for anyone that might think that prisoners, when they are incarcerated, are, are living, you know, a, a nice life or a luxurious, a comfortable life, I, I can assure them that, that that is not the case. And for somebody to be uh, in prison for life is truly a punishment. What did that visit do for you personally? I mean, I know you probably visited jails and going on death row, but I can tell you my experience was that it shook me up. How did it affect you as priest, as a bishop? Well, you hear about people on death row and those that are executed, but to actually meet them and have the opportunity to speak with them and to pray with them, to provide the sacraments to them, it is a very moving experience because you realize that it's a human being. So I I would say, yes, we, we of course, uh, all of us need to be accountable for our actions and there are consequences to pay. But when I visit, have always visited prisons, I never ask somebody, why are you here? What I ask is, how are you doing? And what can I do for you? Can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? So again, you see the humanness uh, that sometimes on the news or in the newspaper you wouldn't be able to encounter. In February 2019, Bishop Parks talked about the Sacrament of Confirmation. I mentioned at the outset, we are rolling into the confirmation season. You'll be going around to some parishes this spring. When you're prepping for confirmation, do you um, have a specific message that you want to part each year? Is it kind of the same thing? Or? Yeah, so as you said, this is really, in our diocese, really getting into the heart of confirmation season, which is a, a joy. I don't think I even did a confirmation at one of our parishes or celebrated one in the fall. So I have already celebrated several this year in our parishes and will continue to do so. As far as the message, you know, that's always a challenge because for the most part, we're trying to share a message with young people, with teenagers, high school students, and you want to make it relevant to them, but you also don't want to water it down. You know, you want to challenge them. So I would say this year, probably not surprisingly, (laughs) the core of my message is courageously living the gospel and how the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit enable us and strengthen us and them to do that in their lives. And, And I share with them that for a young person today, for a high school student, young adult, courageously living the gospel is not easy. And it means that at times we have to make difficult choices that go against what our friends are doing or thinking. The other thing is, of course, at times we do things that others don't consider to be that important, like going to Mass every Sunday and on Holy Days and receiving the sacrament of God's forgiveness and reconciliation. This year, my message is just trying to inspire them to say this is what we're called to do, and this is how the Holy Spirit is going to help you. 
for some of our listeners and for those that aren't Catholic or don't understand the concept of what confirmation is, can you explain that? Confirmation is one of what we call the sacraments of initiation in our faith, along with baptism and First Communion or First Eucharist. Confirmation completes really what was begun in us at baptism. So at baptism, we uh, receive the gift of forgiveness of original sin. We become members of God's family and heirs to the life of grace that he wants to give us. And we do receive an anointing of the Spirit. Confirmation confirms that. And we give our young people, our confirmandi, as we call them, those who are needing to be confirmed, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, both through prayer as well as an anointing with the sacred chrism upon their forehead. And when I do that, I make the sign of the cross on their forehead and say whatever their confirmation name is. So, John, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And um, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. I know there's been back and forth over the years, not not so much in this diocese, but in the history of the church, what the proper age is for confirmation. In our diocese, if you're a parent, when do you need to start thinking about having your child go to confirmation classes? Well, hopefully um, they're already enrolled in a uh, faith formation program, or if they're attending Catholic school, that would be part of their faith education there. So we, we in essence, uh, prepare them for that. But if your child is getting to be in sixth grade, say, or even seventh grade and is not enrolled in a parish faith formation program, really they need to get involved because there's about a year or so of preparation where we teach them about the sacrament and about the blessings and the grace that they receive. It doesn't just happen magically. We want them to have an understanding of what it is we're celebrating and what they're receiving and what they're saying yes to. I know some parishes have a different curriculum, I'll call it. I know at our parish, for example, it was a year-long, almost a year and a half, it seemed like, process. Other parishes, it's six meetings and you're done. Yeah, each each of our parishes might be a little bit different. In our country, uh, we have publishers, you know, Catholic publishing companies that publish confirmation preparation programs to be used as guides for the leaders of the the parish ministry for that preparation. But yeah, there there might be small differences. Some actually probably have a two year preparation program. Some it's a year. Some it's less than that. So it, it varies by parish to parish. But the important thing is that they come to a knowledge and understanding of what we're doing. What's the difference between RCIA and confirmation? So RCIA, well, there's two different uh, aspects to it, but RCIA is generally for those who are not yet Catholic. Okay. So for those who have never been baptized in the Catholic Church or in any other Christian church for that matter, or for those that were baptized in another Christian denomination but not Catholic and have a desire to become Catholic. So that's the preparation or program that they engage in uh, to prepare them uh, to receive the sacraments, whatever those might be that they need to receive and to learn, you know, as much as possible about our faith, recognizing that that's a lifelong process. And all of that through RCI comes together uh, at the Easter Vigil. That's correct. The Easter Vigil is for those who are not baptized. So for those that have never been baptized, the Easter Vigil, we baptize them, we give them First Eucharist, and we confirm them all at the same Mass. So they get the full works, John. So so for my, I'll take myself as an example. Uh, At the Easter Vigil, I was Episcopalian, so I was baptized and I was confirmed. But I still went through the process to become Catholic. And that took place at the Easter Vigil with Monsignor Morris's back. Yeah, and, and it can. We 
don't encourage that, although it has happened in the past. But I, I think since I've arrived uh, here a couple years ago as bishop, I've tried to once again restore the Easter Vigil to what it was historically, okay. which was for the unbaptized. Some of your listeners may not know this, but somebody coming into full communion, so like yourself that was baptized in another faith that wants to become Catholic, that can happen at any time can happen any Sunday during the year, can happen at a Sunday or a Saturday evening Mass, can happen at a weekday Mass. It's whenever the person is ready. They don't have to wait until the Easter Vigil. And so we try to give them that grace as soon as possible. Right. I'll say this personally. It was all inspiring and moving to know that the whole church was praying for me as we were doing the Litany of the Saints. It was incredible. Something I'll never forget. One last thought. Some families see confirmation as kind of a graduation. And unfortunately, once they get the confirmation sacrament, we don't see the kids again until it's time for them to get married. What can the church do to, and the parents do, to help foster and continue that growth? You're correct, John, but you know that's an unfortunate reality, really, that it is viewed in the Latin rite as somewhat of a graduation. And part of that is when it occurs, you know, when somebody finishes eighth grade or begins high school, we kind of associate it or individuals associate it with a graduation, when in reality it's not. It's the beginning of living a, a full Catholic life, having received now all the sacraments of initiation and God's grace. What can we do to change that? Well, we encourage, of course, our young people who receive the sacrament to come back to Mass, that that's just a normal part of their life and there's the blessings to be received. I'm also very strong on encouraging parents to be involved in their child's faith formation. You know, it's more than just dropping them off at the parish once a week and then picking them up an hour, an hour and a half later, maybe going to church, maybe not unfortunately. Really, I I would encourage parents to be involved. I know some parishes I've heard and around the country, they require parents to attend the confirmation sessions and uh, with their young people. And that helps them because they learn, but also they now have made a commitment to accompany their son or daughter on that journey. John, in the end, it comes down, honestly, to the parents, to their example. Do they go to church? Or do they just drop their child off and let the church take care of preparing them? Yep. In this next segment, Bishop Parks addresses questions from listeners and children. And the question that came into the station was, I listened to the Spirit FM Rosary and I've watched it on EWTN. I don't understand how that's a meditation on the life of Jesus when it's a bunch of Hail Marys. <laughs> Can you explain sure. that for our listeners and why the 10 decades, or is there a significance in that number? Yeah, so the history of how the rosary developed and certainly to its present form is a bit complex and not always clear. We know from the first centuries that there were prayer beads or, or, or prayer cords that had prayer knots on them. That might have been the origin of something similar to the current day rosary that we have. Most of us uh, recognize St. Dominic, who lived during the 13th century, as being the originator of the, the rosary in its current form. It's part of the rich treasury of prayer that we have as a church. The rosary, though we do pray a lot of Hail Marys, you're correct, John, Mm -hmm. it is by its essence and at its core Christocentric, so focused on Jesus Christ, and it is scriptural, based on scripture. 
So each of the mysteries is, is taken from a passage in the gospel to recognize a, a particular event or time in our Lord's life. And it encourages us to meditate upon those. Now, why do we say the Hail Marys and why are they so repetitive, as you, as you mentioned? Because it's almost a, kind of like a cadence where the Hail Mary is a prayer that we know so well, we don't have to really think about it. So mm-hmm. while we're praying that prayer, we can actually in our mind envision the mystery that we're celebrating or just bring to a picture to our mind and to meditate upon that mystery of our Lord's life. The other thing, of course, is it is Marian in that we, through the Hail Mary, do ask for our Blessed Mother's intercession, which is always a good thing. Especially when it comes to life issues, like uh, we mentioned earlier in this broadcast, we ask Mary to intercede on the behalf of our prayers for the lives of these families and children. Well, most definitely. I mean, Mary is the, the mother of the unborn, and we do entrust those children in the womb to Mary, to Blessed Mother, as well as to their moms and dads who are sometimes, unfortunately, having to make decisions and choices against life. And and we pray through Blessed Mother's intercession that their minds and their hearts will be changed such that they will uh, recognize the gift of life that they have been given and bring that gift into the world. I've been to I've been to confession where the priest says, "Okay, now go say ten Hail Marys, or go say go pray a Rosary." Why is it a penance? It shouldn't be that way. No, it shouldn't, and, and it's not meant to be a punishment. A penance is meant to hopefully bring about healing, but also reparation and conversion. So I would hope that if you're given a penance of three Hail Marys and three Our Fathers, or I know when I am as a, as a bishop now, right. if a priest gives me that penance, before I pray those prayers, I, of course, thank God for his mercy and forgiveness, and then I entrust myself going forward to the intercession of, of our Blessed Mother, that with her help, uh, that I'll be able to grow in holiness and not commit those same sins again. We mentioned at the outset of our program that uh, we were at the Family Faith Fest, and there were a lot of children there from our various schools and communities, and we had the chance to ask some of our children what they would like to ask the bishop. Okay. (laughs) And what we've done is uh, we've got those recorded. Hi, my name is Lulu, and I go to the Christ the King Catholic School. I have a question for you. What is your favorite movie? My favorite movie? Well, I I don't know that I could identify one. I would say I'm, I'm one of those people that has a few movies that if I'm flipping through the channels uh, on TV, if I happen to see one of them, I'll probably stop and watch it. Uh, movies like, for example, uh, Field of Dreams. Okay. Uh, that's one of my favorites. Uh, I'm a sports fan, so I love anything with sports. Um, Apollo 13 uh, would be another one. I've always found that just very interesting, how they work through all the different adversities of that mission um, and, the, and the drama that ensues there. One of my favorites, which uh, may be a little controversial, is Braveheart. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, you know, it's a good movie, but I, uh, I, I do recognize there's a lot of violence in sure. there as well. But it's also somewhat inspirational as to what a, a group of individuals who's convicted about something and willing to fight for it can actually accomplish. So those are just a few of my favorites. Gladiator? I do like Gladiator as well. Uh, again, I, I think part of that is... Uh, the Roman... Uh, well, yeah, the whole Roman experience, uh, having lived in Rome for four years and to see how they recreated some of those venues is, is interesting to me. 
Hi, my name is Claire, and I go to Christ the King Catholic School, and I have a question for you. What is your favorite breed of dog? <laughs> well, I am a, uh, I am a dog lover, John. Not nothing against cats, but no, my, my preference you. would be to have a dog, and we had uh, several while I was growing up. I would say I, I, I probably like we, – we, we had a couple of miniature pinchers. Now, that might be interesting to some of our viewers because they're relatively small dogs, right. and, and I'm a big person. Yeah, you, so you, you and your brother and, and your <laughs> other brother, Chris, were, were all over six foot. Yeah, I'm six foot eight, six foot eight. My younger brother, Stephen, is six foot four. But anyway, we, we had these little dogs, and uh, I don't know. I just enjoy them. They were a lot of fun. They are high energy and short hair. So I was happy about that, that they didn't make a mess around the house with the with the shedding, but uh, I would say probably the miniature pinchers. I know that some of our priests around the diocese have dogs. Uh, you don't have one right now, do you? I, I don't, John. Probably don't have time. To well, that, that's one thing is it'd be difficult to properly care for it because I'm out of town quite a bit and away from the house during most of the day. But also I have enough of a challenge trying to take care of myself. So, <laughs> <laughs> My name is Patrick and I go to Bishop Arkin Catholic School. And why do you like your favorite food? If you have a restaurant or, or something you want to prepare at home, what, what would you go for? I would say, uh, in general, uh, probably my favorite is Mexican. I, I just really enjoy that. I, I don't know why. I have certain things that I like, uh, quesadillas as well as uh, chicken enchiladas. Those are two of my favorites. And a good guacamole is always excellent with chips. So I, uh, given a choice, if there's a good Mexican place around, and I've been able to find a few here in our, our local area, I always enjoy going for Mexican food. Yeah, and it's usually light on the wallet, too. It is. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> Hi, my name is Edward. I go to Bishop Arkin Catholic School. And did you choose to be in the priesthood, or did God choose for you to be in the priesthood? So, Edward, that's a awesome question, and uh, one that I get asked uh, quite a bit. Uh, we believe that we are invited by God to serve as a priest. So it's not something where typically you say, well, boy, I just always you know, uh, want to be a priest, like I want to be a policeman, or I want to get into business, or I want to... It's, um, it's really a very special vocation, and uh, we believe that the origin of that is found in God's invitation to us. We believe it's God who chooses us and invites us to consider that for our lives, and hopefully we have the courage to be able to say yes to his call. Bishop, we're about all out of time here, but I do want to remind our listeners that if they'd like to hear this program again or those we've recorded in the past, you can visit our diocesan website at dosp.org. You can also subscribe to this program free of charge by going to Stitcher or to your Apple podcast to subscribe. Just type in Bishop Parks right there in the search bar. You can also get the Bishop's weekly scripture reflections from his program, An Invitation to Worship, so be sure to check those out as well. And don't forget to follow Bishop Parks on his travels around the diocese on social media on his award-winning Facebook page, Bishop Gregory L. Parks. Is uh, You can type that in. You're on Instagram also? I am. I'm on Instagram at, at Bishop Parks, and that's Parks with an E-S at the end. Right. Uh, and then also on Twitter as well, at Bishop Parks. Finally, if you have a question for Bishop Parks that you'd like to ask, you'd like me to ask for you on this program, you can simply shoot me an email at contact at myspiritfm.com. We'll be sure to get that out there. 
Bishop, can we close with your blessing for our listeners? Of course. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the abundant blessings which you have bestowed upon us. We ask for an outpouring of your Spirit that you may lead us and guide us on our path, that through our words, our thoughts, and our actions, that we may courageously live the gospel and we may continue to grow in our relationship with you and with your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you always. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.